There were more Syracuse connections, not only in the last dance last night, but when you really step back and think about it, I'm going to miss some. I was looking for them today, and somebody's going to remind me of, of a few I'm forgetting for sure, right? The Carrier Dome footage. Ten minutes into the show, there's Jordan at the Dome, and you're trying to figure out, well, when's this from? And quickly, we kind of figured out it was the 1983 regional final at the Carrier Dome, Syracuse, New York. It was North Carolina and Georgia. And Georgia won. Georgia beat, I mean, that Jordan team, man. Talking about, first of all, they, of course, had come off a national championship the year before. Jordan hits the shot, the start of the legacy. But that's Jordan and Sam Perkins and. Brad Doherty's on that team, and Matt Doherty's on that. That's a loaded North Carolina team. I didn't watch it. The game's on YouTube. I sent out the link on my Twitter feed if you want to check it out. I I didn't have time to watch the game in full. I do actually kind of want to see that, though, just to kind of see the old-school dome. And But how did Georgia win that game? I didn't recognize a lot of players on that Georgia team. I, I thought that Dominique Wilkins was on that team, but I think he had left the year before that to go to the NBA. That's 83. That's, of course, Jim Valvano and not that amazing upset win that they had. Valvano running around looking for somebody to hug, beat Faisalam Jamma. So Jordan played in the Dome that day, but he had played Syracuse twice before that. Now, one was in Charlotte. So I pulled up the box scores. So you go to... January 8th, 1983. So this is in the 82-83 season. Charlotte, North Carolina. This is your... I'm just going to go through the box score real quick for Syracuse. Your leading scorer in an 87-64 loss to North Carolina, Eric Santifer, 24 points on the day, and he was the only one that had a good day against Carolina because Leo Routens had six points. He was three of 14. Tony Bruin scored two points. Andre Hawkins with five. Gene Waldron dropped nine that day. Raphael Addison was on that squad. He had six. Sonny Spirit played but didn't score. Wendell Alexis only uh, put in 10 points. Um, Sean Cairns scored 10 in that game. But then you look at North Carolina. Jordan led the Tar Heels with 18 points. Brad Doherty, eventual number one pick in the draft, what, 86, I believe? He had 15 points. Matt Doherty, future coach of North Carolina, didn't go so well for him, but former Tar Heel, 13 points in that matchup. And Sam Perkins had 12 points in that game. So that's in Carolina. That's the 82-83 season. You go ahead to the 83-84 season, the next year, and Syracuse and Carolina play again, this time at the Dome. Somebody sent me a cool photo last night. I'm sure some of you have it or remember this, but our buddy Dome Trough, who's got a terrific Twitter feed you should follow, he's got an autographed picture. It's only Pearl. Can you imagine if he had a Pearl and Michael Jordan autograph on the same photo? I could put my kids through college with that probably. But December 10th, 1983, Carolina comes back, and one of these quirky things, same score. They beat Syracuse 87-64. to Jordan leads the Tar Heels again with 19 points, and there was something about those Carolina teams stacked up, 
five different guys in doubles. You had Perkins and Matt Doherty score 16. Brad Doherty had 12 in that game. He had 10 rebounds to go with it, so he has a double-double. Kenny Smith's on that squad now. He got into that game, didn't score much, but played. Oh, no, Kenny Smith had 11. So, yeah, one, two, there's five guys in double figures in that game. For Syracuse, a little better of a effort, but still a kind of a one-man show. Raphael Addison, 18 points in that game, and a little bit more of a balanced effort. Sean Karens, Andre Hawkins, Pearl only scored eight in that game. Waldron, Sonny Sparrow, Wendell Alexis all scored eight points against Carolina. So there's two games against Syracuse. We mentioned later that season the, the regional final. Now let's go. I don't know why I didn't go to this. I don't know why I don't remember hearing about this and kind of being reminded of it, but 1992. So this is the fall after the Dream Team. This is peak Jordan now. They had won a championship in 91. They win a championship in 92 as well, the famous Jordan Shrug series. Jordan, Jordan at the offensive end of the floor, the ability to hang just long enough to get that good look at the front of the rim. Tremendous concentration by Michael. The ball's only 2 of 11 from the field. Jordan again from three-point land. Now Jordan posting up. Goes to the fadeaway. Through the foul, it comes. Drexler picking up his first. There's the shrug right there. So then they go in Dream Team Summer, the most captivating basketball team ever put together. So there was some doubt that Jordan was actually going to come to the Dome. I was reading a great uh, Post Standard article about it. Uh, not uh, uh, It was a, an article done a couple years ago by the great Jonathan Croyle looking back on it, but I looked in the Post Standard archives too. And just reading about it, there was some doubt. That Jordan was going to show up. He mentioned he wanted some extra rest after a long summer, but he did. 28,000 people there. Derek Coleman didn't even play for the, they played New Jersey, the, the New Jersey Nets. Coleman was hurt, didn't even play, but Jordan came, didn't play much, but did play. Pippen, the whole squad. And then, of course, you fast forward, and Jasmine Jordan, Michael's daughter, goes to the David Falk School of Management sports management at Syracuse University, and eventually marries Rakeem Christmas. They made Jordan a grandfather just a couple years ago. Do they have two kids now? Like They could have two kids now. We'll have to catch up with Rakeem Christmas and have him on the show. And You heard the Marv Albert clip. Bob Costas, of course, covered Jordan, called his games, or did studio work for basketball. The NBA and NBC. So if it was the broadcasters chronicling who he was playing, the stops in Syracuse, the family connections to the school, his agent, David Falk, Syracuse guy, Syracuse grad. I know there's some interactions in the past there between Jim Beheim and Michael Jordan. There's more Syracuse there than I thought, that I remembered. I don't know how much of it's going to come up here in the last dance as, as this thing goes forward, but boy, you know what? It, 
it was bittersweet last night, too, watching that thing, because it made me realize how much we miss sports. It was fun to have something to look forward to, to break it down. Look, Twitter is not real life. But the amount of people, like, if when I scrolled my Twitter feed, every single tweet was about that. I haven't seen the numbers for it yet, but it's they're going to be through the roof. By the way, kudos to ESPN. They aired on ESPN. This ESPN, this, you know, everybody's got ESPN. If you have a basic cable package, you have ESPN, and you're just flipping around like, hey, what's on? They're dropping F-bombs left and right in this thing, and I'm glad they did. They put a censored version on ESPN, too, if you wanted all the beeps. But that's what this was. It was raw. It was behind the scenes. And I think it would have been distracting to watch it with the beeps. I mean, I can't swear on this radio show, but if you're offended by certain swear words, look, I'm not going to tell you what to be offended by in life, but come on. We're all adults, and people use bad words and I wish I could use bad words on the radio once in a while. You can in certain forms of radio, but not this one. So I won't do it, and I won't get us in trouble. But it's like, come on. Once in a while, somebody says a naughty word. I'm glad ESPN did that. It just gave it that true, raw sense to it, the true feel to it. If you're going to do something that was behind the scenes, like that's what these guys were doing. Jordan calling out his teammates and some of the things that they said to Jerry Krause, and it was incredible. We're only two episodes into this thing. It's going to be hard for me, and I'll compare them, and once I want to wait till it's all done. But the OJ documentary was so compelling and brought out every emotion you have. This, I don't think, is going to bring out some of the same emotions. It's not quite as, I mean, it doesn't get more mass appeal than Michael Jordan, but the OJ thing appeals to everybody because true crime, and you don't necessarily have to be a, a sports fan. More people know OJ from non-sports reasons than sports reasons, believe it or not. And, I mean, that's just a phenomenon. That, and we weren't too far away from that. Like, the the OJ trial was 95. It happened in 94. And then the trial spilled over into 95. This is only a couple years after that. I'm just thinking back to how truly amazing the 1990s were. Like, I'm a kid of the 80s. I'm 41. I was born in 78. The 80s were my formative years, but the 90s, that's when I'm coming out of middle school into high school. Michael Jordan, and I'm not one of these Gen Xers that is here to tell you that Michael Jordan's the greatest ever and your LeBron talk is funny. LeBron actually has a legitimate case. Different generations, different things. Yeah, LeBron's lost some NBA finals and ultimately Jordan wins the argument, I think, but It's closer than most people want to say, but I'm glad that finally some people that are just so convinced it's LeBron, 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 we now have something we can show them to be like, no, look, watch this. Watch how good these teams were. Watch the makeup of this team, how they navigated an inept general manager. And again, Jerry Krause was a good general manager in another sense, but LeBron had to do it in so many different ways than Michael, including in the social media era, including in the media scrutiny era, included some of those teams that they put around him. It's like, how the hell did you even make it to the playoffs, let alone the finals? So I'm not going to have that debate today because we're not going to settle it, and it's a generational thing. Ultimately, that debate is a generational thing. 
I will die on the Michael Jordan Hill, but I look, there there's a discussion to be had there. But at least this documentary will be a good like, okay, you you think LeBron James is your guy, that's fine, but just you gotta watch this first. Kudos to ESPN, to the director, everybody that's doing it. We're only it's not even over. We're only two. <laughs> that was the setup. That was the history. That was the the backdrop. Now we're getting into Scotty Pippen. Den- I can't wait for the Dennis Rodman episodes. Are you kidding me? Come on. Most random interview I ever did in radio, by the way. We actually interviewed the guy. They showed it last night. I'm sure it'll be featured more prominently in upcoming episodes of The Last Dance. But when Rodman kicked the dude, the cameraman, remember he kicked him in the in the goodies? Randomly, we interviewed him, Brad Davies and I. What was that, 90? It had to be 96, 97, right? Because I was working with Brad. I didn't start working there until 96. So not a good interview, by the way. Not very interesting. But boy, did he get his 15 minutes out of that. Night on ESPN 2, 7.30, tomorrow night as well, NFL Draft Special, hosted by this gentleman right here, a longtime ESPN NFL reporter, pleasure to have him on, Sal Palantonio, how are you, sir? Oh, Brent, I'm doing well, thanks for having me on, I appreciate it. Absolutely, sir, and you know, before we get into the Giants and Jets and some teams you're covering, Sal, the draft itself this year is just fascinating because of how they have to do it, right? Teams, <laughs> general managers in their home offices and trying to coordinate this thing. What have you heard about how that's going? I know they were kind of running a test out there today. What, what's the latest you could tell us about how the draft is going to work? Well, I think it's going to work uh, in fits and starts. You know, I think everybody has to just be patient with it. Um, I, I expect it won't be. Uh, as smooth as people think it will. I mean, this is the first time, maybe hopefully last time, they'll ever have to do it this way. You know, you just look at, you know, the New York Giants are going to have 12, 15 people uh, all over the place. Um, you know, that's just one team between coaches, scouts, front office people, medical people. Um, you know, so you, you multiply that by 30, you're going to have, uh, just for teams, you're going to have like 500 different people connected. Then there's NFL staff. Uh, so it, it has the potential. Then after that, you've got players and reporters. I know they have 180 camera feeds coming into the ESPN Bristol operation alone. Wow. That's incredible, Sal. So, like you, you said, know, that is really. Yeah. I mean, Brent, that's that's incredible. It is. It's incredible to think about it. Like you said, patience will be a virtue in that. They never tried it in this way. So, not only in how it's going to go Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Sal, but how have NFL teams dealt with this? I think it was Gettleman who said, you know, you got to have the guy in the room. You got to see him. You got to smell him. You got to get to know him. But that process obviously got you know completely thrown out of whack about a month ago when the sports world shut down. I think, you know, teams, um, listen, I, I look, uh, yeah, I, I was just look, doing some due diligence on the Jacksonville Jaguars because of your old friend Doug Marone, there right, up there in Syracuse. That's yeah. Right. All right. So, the, <laughs> amazingly, a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars, they, they are picking in the top 10 for the 12th time in 13 seasons. <laughs> They've had top 10 picks. 18 times in franchise history. 
I don't, I don't know about you, man, but if you're picking in the top 10 18 times, you probably should have won a Super Bowl or two. <laughs> they should stop I mean, Tom Brady you was, that high. Yeah. yeah, right, so Brady was picked 199th. My, my point is, that you look at the Eagles, a team that I pick, I, I cover a lot. They had five draft picks last year. Four of the five stunk on ice. Sal Palantonio is our guest, ESPN, and the Eagles will be one of the teams you're covering, but a lot of Giants and Jet fans here in Central New York. Sal, let me start with the Giants. Look, they've got that high pick. Gettleman's usually not somebody who trades. He kind of has a certain way he goes. But look, the draft's unpredictable as always. But what do the Giants absolutely have to come out of this draft with? What's what's the to-do list for them? Well, listen, uh, I know he's looking at offensive linemen, clearly, uh, and rightfully so. But if Isaiah Simmons is on the draft board and the Giants don't take him, It'll be a huge mistake. I think Isaiah Simmons, I think the five impact players in this draft are Isaiah Simmons, Chase Young, C.D. Lamb, uh, Joe Burrow, and uh, the cornerback from Ohio State, Jeffrey Okuda. So to me, you got to take Isaiah Simmons. He, he's a total difference maker. He plays every position. In the NFL right now, you need what I call positionless players that play every position. You need versatility. You need a guy on the field, Brent, where you say the quarterback has got to find this guy and see what he's up to. Rent space in the quarterback's mind. And I'd be... I'd be very if I were a Giants fan and 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 Gettleman passed up Simmons, I'd be very upset. Let's flip that over. Same thing in New York, usually in the same facility, but not in this case. They'll be sequestered at home. The Jets. What what are their draft priorities coming in, Sale? Well, you know, Jets are also looking at offensive line, but if if I'm the Jets, the way to make them instantly better, instantly better, is to take one of the top wide receivers with the number eleven pick. I don't care who you like. Uh, to me, C.D. Lamb is the top wide receiver in this draft. Silky smooth, got size and speed, doesn't, doesn't drop anything. If he's there, take him. Jerry Judy, take him. Henry Ruggs III, absolutely take him. The best friend of this young quarterback would be a wide receiver. I, I realize you've got to protect, but I want guys who get open. If you have guys who can get open and the ball comes out of Darnold's hands quickly, you don't have to protect them. And Sal, I know you got to run to another interview here, but before we let you go, quickly, is there a team or two we should keep a close eye on here that could be aggressive in this draft? Trades, surprising people, who are, who are some teams to watch? I think it's without a doubt the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick is looking for the next Tom Brady. Sal, he's going to find him somewhere, man. He's yeah. going to find him somewhere. I'd love to he see really it early. I'd love to see Tua or something crazy like that. But we shall oh, see. Yeah. I, I'd love it. Well, Sal, yeah, I know I'd love gotta, it too. I know you got to run to another interview, but let's catch up down the road when you got a little bit more time. Uh, good luck with everything, and uh, thanks for your time today, my friend. Thank you. Have me anytime. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sal. It's Sal Palantonio, ESPN.